This will be a different intro, will it? Uh, I don't know. Let's see what comes out of my face when I, when I start. No pressure, Luke. Yeah. The following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Thunder buddies and travelers down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM podcast network. I am your host, your deadly game on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Zagarly Malone. Lee, how are you? If you're the deadly game, does that mean I'm the really bad hunter? I Who knows? Uh, you're, the, yeah, you're the big game hunter you are. Um <laughs> I saw that I saw actually today friend of the show and uh, official Thunder buddy Alan Forel talking about seeing Lee Marshall pop up on I think WrestleMania 2 okay as uh, one of the broadcasters now I can't say I've really ever watched the whole show start to finish WrestleMania 2 if I'm imagining he'd have to be on the Chicago portion of the show because didn't he begin in the AWA yeah I think he was uh, I think he was from that that part of the country all right so um, you'd imagine that's the portion of the show he was on um didn't see photographic proof from alan so maybe he's just you know maybe he's just i uh, mean I, I wouldn't put it beyond mr farrell to uh make make something up yeah uh how has your week been pal the same as every other week at the moment <laughs> <laughs> not, not to get to you know just another weeky week yeah just another well, week in between recording yeah, well, look, it's it's good that we're breaking from tradition a little bit. Um, more on that in a couple of minutes, I think. Before we get into the actual wrestling and uh, the actual wrestling we're talking about tonight, and the um, the reasons why we we've gone over the fence to see what the opposition are at. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee, as this episode is being broadcast, we are in the thick of WrestleMania week, so. We are we we usually record on a Monday or a Tuesday, so mm-hmm. this is going up before any of the the NXTs or any of the indie shows or anything like that, and it will post right in the middle of everything on mm-hmm. Thursday night when we're we're really in full swing. I don't know about you, but in my entire just nearly thirty two years of life, I've never been in the time I've known about wrestling since I was six years old. I've never um. 
been less hyped for a Mania week than I am this year. Ah, uh, I am just like I'm almost upset how uninterested I am mm. in the current WWE product. Yeah. I mean, like, it's still a thing, you know, we were saying in a group chat the other night, it's like, it's mania, so you'll, mm-hmm. you'll probably watch it. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the Rumble, even in a bad year, you'll still watch the Rumble mm-hmm. as well. But, yeah, like, obviously, the pandemic had a certain level of effect. Everything that happened as well last year with Speaking Out as well, I think, dampened our, our interest in a lot of contemporary wrestling mm-hmm. and a lot of specific people who are on cards this week. Yep. But I think even in addition to that, Lee, like I, I've found my, not my interest in wrestling, but my interest in the whole kind of palaver of WrestleMania week since probably about 2016, like when the indie boom really kicked off, it's like my interest in the actual WWE part of the whole week has gone down. And because this year with the pandemic and everything else, mm-hmm. uh, because the indies just, with the best will in the world, are not bringing it on the same level, no. even close this year. I just I'm finding it very hard outside of maybe a couple of cherry picked matches across the whole week to be excited about anything. How are you feeling about it? I'm very much the same. Like uh, I'll I'm working till like six o'clock Friday evening our time. So like mm. by the time I get home, like all the early shows will be will have been done on Thursday and Friday by the time I get home. Yeah. And, like I get home on Thursday. I just want to catch up on Dynamite. I don't want to fucking. I don't want to have to jump into some mania shows in front of, you know, twenty seven people in fucking Florida. Like, yeah. And that's you know, and I don't want to you know downplay. There is going to be some good matches, and there are some comp- some companies that really are trying. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I will absolutely let other people watch, and I will cherry pick come Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, like. There are companies, like, I think of uh, independent companies that I always want to do well, like a Beyond Wrestling mm-hmm. or something like that, that I'm a, a strong the, supporter of. This show sounds interesting, to be fair. Yeah, um, but I'm, I think it's a I'm case of... I think. I, I think it's a case of, because of the travel restrictions and, and all the people that have been, like, the signing sprees that have happened in the mm-hmm. last year, um, there, it, there, there feels a certain sense of homogeneity across the cards that it's the same 20 odd people in mm-hmm. different combinations that some of them we've seen before like uh, even last year so last year I was less interested than the year before but even last year I was still like double screening events that were on the same time like I had my TV and a little monitor set up beside the TV and I was watching two wrestling shows at the same time sometimes Um, the year before was even more crazy Um yeah it's like it, it's such a shame in some respects um like hopefully for the sake of the independence the things are a bit more active next year because again like i'm, I'm always somebody who if the card is good if you're putting a good card on i'll i'll pay you your money yeah. i have no problem with that um but this year i haven't like short of i already have the network because we do this dumb show uh i haven't put a penny towards anything like maybe i'll do an iwtv i was just gonna say i i re-upped my iwtv last weekend so i will probably i will watch like family reunion shows um i think sup has a decent looking show yeah and beyond as well yeah yeah sup is one that has like the the sleeper really good matches sometimes Mm -hmm. um yeah, so that's Mania Week anyway, which I, I, I fear, like, the more we talk about it, the more out of date we'll be by the time the show comes out, so we should probably park it. Suffice to say, we're we're not 
jazzed about it and i think after what we watched this week we're already jazzed about much <laughs> um but our last stop before actually talking about things is to talk about our beers of thunder which i did not forget this week um what have you got uh, on this episode my friend i have nothing new i'm just sipping away at my favorite my sudden comfort in lime i have mm-hmm. a pair of them in front of me because oh boy <laughs> do we need them <laughs> and uh yeah i'm just take taking it easy this this uh lovely tuesday evening yeah so i've got uh i'm back on the, the 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 whiskey set i got for christmas the little tour of the world i'm on my third one of those uh and this week i'll read from the uh the little document that i have here <laughs> this week i'm enjoying a powers 12 year reserve the john's lane release obviously from ireland um Powers John Lane was an instant hit when it was first released in 2011. It is comprised mostly of a robust heavy pot still spirit produced in the new Middleton distillery and aged 12 years in bourbon and Olosro barrels. The whiskey is named after the former distillery location in Dublin, which is now closed. Intended to faithfully recreate the old style of whiskey once made there, it's one that Irish whiskey lovers keep coming back to and at a powerful 46%. Uh, so I'm going to try that one now. That is creepily smooth. <laughs> I, I, say, I don't think I've ever had the powers. Mm. I, I don't really like the just the, the general bog standard powers. Mm. Uh, I think it tastes a little bit more like drinking perfume than drinking Gosh. whiskey. You know when you get a particularly fragrant yeah, whiskey? Know, that's, what exactly it, what you mean. that's what it tastes like. But this is quite nice, and it has that thing that the older, like the the twelve years, the ten years, depending on what uh, brand you're going with, where you know the first sip you get the kind of like the the, the fire of the fire water, yeah. but then it just it goes down smooth, like it's yeah, it's very nice. So when I put a as as Joe Lando would say, a fresh Coke Z in on Coke top Z, of that, yeah. that's gonna. <laughs> I've I found myself unintentionally calling it Coke Z now because of fucking Lanza. <laughs> Do you know what? I did the same in the shop the other day? <laughs> uh, uh, what an influencer, that man. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, look, so <laughs> you've seen the title of the show. You know we're actually not talking about WCW this week. Lee, do you want to explain to the listeners, as I open the Coke Z, uh, what some of the thinking behind this 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 episode was? Um I will say firstly before I hand to you that we we did intend to have a special guest on this mm-hmm. show, but our scheduling between the two of us has been mad uh, the last yeah. while. So we kind of that guest we still have them in mind for a pick your poison or something else in the future. Uh, so you won't uh, we won't reveal who it was because they'll still show up. Um, Maybe we decided, if, if they still talk to us after this. If they still talk to us after this, <laughs> but we uh, we decided we for myriad reasons we just go ahead and do this episode right so this episode initially we had planned to do this as a christmas special so that will tell you how long this show has been in the works yeah we had wanted to record this pre-christmas and again because of scheduling it's just been an absolutely crazy couple of months um so when we recorded, or the week the week before we recorded World War Three, we had talked about it. and We were like, "Oh, you know, now would be a good time to to get um, X onto the show to do Deadly Game." 
Mr. X. <laughs> so I know it's not um, Aaron Hanare. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, we had planned to get in contact with the person and arrange to do this show post World War Three. Yeah. Instead, the two of us forgot. Yeah. We got to last weekend. We we're like, oh shit, what are we watching this week? <laughs> yeah. What what kept happening was there'd be like, I you'd say, oh, I need to contact yeah. the guest. And then you'd get really busy and then say, oh no, I'll contact him. And then I'd get really busy. Mm-hmm. And then since the World War Three show, the two of us have been completely flat out. Um, I'm just finally glad that I'm on a computer screen, not looking at grant applications for work for once. Like it's just been <laughs> chaos. But, uh, yeah, so, like, the other reason we kind of decided why we can't hold it off anymore is because it's literally, we've just gone past it in the timeline. Yes. Um, And I think it was interesting for us um, to look at, at a time where, I think we ended World War III on a really dour note. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, wouldn't you agree, it was important to go, right, as the tipping point is coming for WCW, let's see what's happening on the the show that they're hemorrhaging viewers to. Yeah. So, I think it's fair to say our reasoning for doing the show is, like you said, we're at our lowest point when it comes to WCW. Mm-hmm. And this is like, it's it's the, the comparison I made in our little chat was that WCW is just coming off its own gimmick show of World War Three. Yeah. This is very much a gimmick show of a, a tournament. Yeah. And it's a great comparison point, especially when down the line, hint, hint, there will be another time where we cross over. Mm. And it will make another very interesting comparison point to look back at how both companies have progressed in between the two points. And yeah. I think that was one of the major reasons as well as everything that we really wanted to get the show done now. Yeah. And I think it's a thing where, you know, I don't want to make it seem like we're going to be crossing the border and talking WWF a no, lot on the show. Um, there's a lot of other podcasts and, and YouTube channels mm-hmm. and stuff that have covered the Attitude Era better and more exhaustively than we would. Um, you know, shout out to the Attitude Era podcast, among others. Um, but what, like you said, when those interesting kind of pivot points come that mm-hmm. we can compare one to the other i think in our entire we have you know we're slightly more organized than we sound and we do have a spreadsheet that has every single episode that we want to do mm-hmm. up right until the end of thunder um and in that i think we have i think you were saying two or three points at which we will cross the Jump line across, a little yeah. bit and you know sometimes it might be a standalone show like this sometimes there may not be enough for a standalone and we might mix together we reserve that right in future we'll see (laughs) when we get to them um but the other thing um that i think is important to note going forward when we start talking about deadly game is another comparison we could make to world war three in that world war three teed up things for wcw that would start leading it inexorably to its end Mm -hmm. whereas deadly game even though you know we'll get into what we thought of the actual show itself in the moment but some of the pieces it puts on the board are very very important for 1999 which is the year where wwf would really pull away from wcw Um, it's just like you said we'll get into it but it's very much a scene setting show because all the pieces are moved into 
the places that they wanted them to be mm. and it's very much saying right this is now where x is this is now where y is x and y are going to meet and then fucking z is going to get involved at some stage and yeah. it, it's all very much setting the pieces for where they want to be so I, I listened back to in preparation for this show because I know you uh, by the sounds of it you did a little bit of digging around and looking at stuff around mm-hmm. this time that you might add in some flavor here and there um, I listened back to the very first episode of this podcast to prepare because I wanted to ask you similar kinds of questions to when we first looked at WCW okay so what I wanted to ask you is we know it's been established where our WCW fandoms began on the podcast but where at what point did you jump on to the world wrestling federation what's the first thing you remember and at this time in 1998 then where was your fandom at oh the first thing i remember is the build to like SummerSlam 1990 i would have been yeah. like four years old mm-hmm. but from what i am told i had been watching wrestling since i was like able to focus on the tv yeah. Like my, my dad, my dad has basically told me like it's literally like if I was able to change channels on on the TV, mm-hmm. and I found wrestling, I would just that was it. I was sitting down and I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now the first thing I remember is earthquake. But I don't know whether it was a video package or watching the actual episode of Superstar. I, I don't recall exactly, but earthquake squashing Hulk Hogan and just the build to their match at SummerSlam nineteen ninety. Um. Like, I was very much a young Hulkamaniac and fucking Ultimate Warrior fan. Yeah. And I never stopped watching, like, up until now. Like, I've always been a, up until the last couple of years, a really big WWF fan. Um, yeah. Like, 1998, you, I'm, you're talking to peak. I am just fully on board, like, every Friday watching Raw. Mm. Just the whole hog, like, Steve Austin is just fucking incredible and fully on board with um certain things that you just couldn't possibly do these days yeah for sure um so for me i like i i said at the top of the show i started watching wrestling when i was six years old mm-hmm. so the very first thing kind of similar to yourself so the first thing i remember is brett and sean at the the build for mania 12 oh god so that's the first thing i remember are, are so you I, are like are you a fucking nxt contracted talent do you have to say this is your favorite match ever (laughs) so like and it was for a long time because you think about like if a six-year-old the first match they ever see starts with a guy coming down from the ceiling like that that's true and like in pure kind of cartoony comic booky terms you've never seen a guy look more like a hero than you know sean like he's young he's good looking he's got the white and gold tights Mm -hmm. again he's just come down from the ceiling the crowd are going wild for him um and i'm also i book the trend in it that i'm probably one of the the relatively few people that actually became a fan during the new generation rather than stopped (laughs) now again i was six years old so i wasn't that cognizant of things Mm -hmm. and it was more like my two cousins they were both really into wrestling and i was watching it with them so i wasn't watching it like religiously until like i i I was watching i was interested in certain wrestlers i I always wanted to see what sean was doing and in 1998 as much as i enjoyed like stone cold i was kind of like oh sean's not here anymore so there's a couple there's a bit there in 1998 where i'm just like i don't know if i like this as much anymore i was big into kane i remember that everybody was god yeah 
huge into Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was 1999 where I started obsessively watching then. You know, so I was kind of in and out. I'm told the first thing I ever watched was the um the 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 Savage Liz wedding at what year SummerSlam was that? SummerSlam ninety one. Ninety one, I want to say, yeah. So I'm told that's the first thing I ever saw, but I would have been like a toddler. Do you know what I mean? Mm. When my cousins finally got that VHS tape, God knows how much later that VHS tape came over to Ireland. You were twenty two. Yeah, it was. It was actually a few weeks ago. Um, um, but yeah, no, like I remember, like we, I used to like there was a video shop locally to us, and like they had like UK Rampage ninety one, fucking UK Rampage ninety two, World War, or World Tour ninety two, all this, like all the stuff that's on the network now, like. That like we used I well I used to try and convince my parents to rent all the time like yeah it's like it, you know I I was the God I'd love to explore sometime the uh, the the kind of the history of like I I've heard so many podcasts where people are like oh the VHS tape in the local mm-hmm. video shop and like how important that was yeah. to people's fandom at the time like I know I watched. The VHS tapes I got of wrestling, I would watch till the things broke, you know. Um, I've got, like, my King of the Ring 98 videotape, and I've got loads of ones I taped off the TV and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's safe to say that we were both WWF fans. Mm-hmm. Um, And coming into Survivor Series 1998 deadly game which is what we're talking about November 15th 1998 from St. Louis Missouri um what was the context for this tournament Lee um that led into the WWF title being put up in this one night tournament okay so what happened was there was a triple threat match at I want to say I think it was breakdown in your house breakdown which was Kane Undertaker and Steve Austin and there was a double pin there was a double choke slam by Kane and Undertaker and they did the shoulder to shoulder perfectly positioned themselves at the same time to cover Austin and it was the double pin and Vince did the whole screw you and left with the belt in the the famous shot of him with the belt in the air and giving Austin the finger yeah, as the limo pulled out of the garage. Um, so then he made for, I think it was Judgment Day was the next pay per view. The original Judgment Day was Undertaker versus Kane with Austin as the ref, and if Austin didn't count the pin for the winner and you know crown somebody the new champion, Vince would fire him. So Austin on a double down decided to count both of them out for three. I can't remember the circumstances of whether he got involved or whatever, but he basically counted them both out and declared himself the winner. And Vince proceeded to fire him. So, on the Raw the following night, when he tried to crown a new champion, that's when the Zamboni incident on Raw happens, the bit we've all seen a million times. Um, Kane and Undertaker see Vince giving them the finger. They proceed to break his ankle. And a tournament is then set because Vince is just fucking true with all of this shit. <laughs> and he sets a tournament, a 16-man tournament that ends up being a 14-man tournament that ends up being yeah. a 13-man tournament. Yeah. <laughs> so coming into tonight, we uh, it was a 14... At the start of the show, it was a 14-man tournament where uh, one of the people that was out was Triple H. Yeah. Because he had had knee surgery. 
and um, Kane and Undertaker got buzz into the second round. Yeah. Who was the other person that was out? Do you remember? And uh, oh, you're thinking of the mystery opponent. Mystery opponent, yeah. Which we'll so, get to open the show, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the first comparison point I'd like to make with WCW is the the opening video package because we were mm-hmm. both we both companies were knee deep in the melodramatic, uh, video package here. But I think it it's always been the consensus that wwf did the better melodrama yes um and what did you think of this package it was 14 men with a dream and ending with whatever it takes yeah it was like all, all the buzzwords power recognition prestige championship yeah yeah like you said whatever it takes and you have you know shots of them all working out and um i think there's even a shot of austin with the bloody face and all mm. that kind of stuff but yeah WWF have always been the the world leader when it comes to this kind of video package. That's mm-hmm. their forte. That's what they're great at. And, um, and in terms of like, so this was the the last few years where WWF would do shows that were one night tournaments. It's mm-hmm. kind of uh, something they're not remotely interested in oh. anymore. Um, and you know, this one was not one of the better outings on the whole, but. Uh, I think there's a certain segment of wrestling fandom that you and I very much are part of that would love more, like not this quality of show, but love the idea of a one night or a weekend tournament. Yeah, it's something that they really like. I'm amazed that they never really tapped into. Like, we've we've gone to Germany for for weekend long tournaments, and I mean, like you think about it, if the WWF said right, we're rocking up to fucking Chicago for a whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to crown new fucking new tag team champions. We're going to have tag teams from all around the world. Like, you, they're going to sell out fucking an arena three times. I mean, look at the buzz they got. Like, I know it wasn't necessarily ticket selling because it's a small building, but the buzz they got off the Cruiserweight Classic mm-hmm. and the two May Young Classics. Look, um, look at the UK tournament. The, the yeah. initial UK tournament. Like, Yeah, I know. I nearly went to that. I had tickets for that. Um, you would have been on a watch list then. I know, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> And, like, I used to love King of the Ring as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of a shame. I understand when... I, I know when you put, like, tournaments on TV and things like that, people don't necessarily get invested. Um, But for me and the way I consume wrestling, I love tournaments because mm-hmm. everybody gets a story in yeah. the tournament. Everybody has motivations. Everybody's, like every match means something and there are great narratives you can tell in tournament wrestling that you can't just tell with kind of disconnected matches on a show. Look how popular March Madness is in the States. Like people that aren't even college basketball fans will jump in and like do the whole bracketology thing and you know they're totally invested in what fucking I don't know Baylor College is fucking gonna do like who has the best fucking point guard in college basketball like you know people are into tournaments and like i just i really do think it's something that they really missed about on like they they really should have like made this a thing yeah it's funny that like with all the steps and ideas they've beaten into the ground and overdone over the years this is like one of the few wrestling gimmicks they've done less of it's because they didn't invent it yeah this is true um the other thing i'm really into about this show lee the theme song deadly game yeah it's an all-timer it's a fucking banger, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> like, I 
apart from the main event, like, this is another thing I meant to say when I was talking about my fandom. Apart from the main event, there's very few strong memories I have of this show, but the theme song is definitely one of them. You know? Um, I think it was even on one of the albums, wasn't it? Yeah, I want to say it was. And if it wasn't on that, surely it was on that anthology one as well, um, which everybody had. Um, But uh, yeah, like between that and the logo with the skull, Mm -hmm. it was like, it was really cool. Like they were definitely um, nailing the branding around this time. God, I I hate using that word, but they really were (laughs) like the, they, what WWF had captured um, was something that WCW was losing around this time. And that was the cool factor. You know what I mean? Like, that song was cool. That poster was fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Lord knows Austin, The Rock, Taker, all cool. You know? Yeah, um, Taker. Well, you know, people like Taker. Uh, you know, I, I, at this time, like, maybe not as an eight-year-old, but looking back at this time, I'm just like, God, did people think he was good then? You know? Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh God, we could we could have a whole podcast on that, man. Um but yeah, the, the cool factor was definitely there. Um, so this is the 12th annual Survivor Series from the Keel Center. And we have the reliable Attitude Era pairing of JR and Jerry Lawler on commentary. And this pairing just feels like that comfy pair of slippers. It's like you're you're in the hands of the old familiar. Yeah, uh, I, I don't want to give away too much, but... Yeah. I think I didn't take many notes of what JR and the King said because no. to me nothing none of it was outrageous or no. now that's not to say it's like not aged badly because some of it absolutely has. Oh yeah. But it's like a thing of maybe I'm just so familiar with JR and the King compared to mm-hmm. Bobby and Lee and Tony that you know, yeah. whereas their little quips are new and kind of funny to me, it's just JR and the King. It's that yeah. that's what we're used to. Yeah, and I think they perfected the art of like um, fading into the background sometimes mm-hmm. when you were really focusing on the action. They weren't distracting you from it. Whereas I think particularly as time goes on in WCW when the announcers are just checked out on how bad everything is, like you might as well just focus on them quipping because what's happening in the ring is just nothing to, yeah. to write home about. Um, they mention how a huge brawl is alleged to have broken out on heat. Um, and the first face we see, apart from Jr. and the King here, is Vince in a wheelchair with uh, his cadre of stooges. Patterson, Briscoe, the boss man, and Commissioner Slaughter. Before we get to that, do you want to run down the brackets? Oh, you do you have it there in front yeah, of me? Yeah, I have it in front of me here. Go ahead. So before we get to Vince, uh, we get a brief shot of the, the brackets for the night. So we mentioned Undertaker and Kane are the top two in the brackets. They both got a boy straight into the second round or the quarterfinals where they will meet each other. Um, next up, we have the Rock and Triple H, which, you know, that's a pretty good fucking matchup, especially yeah. in 99. You know, these two had a good good history and um, coming off the SummerSlam match, the ladder match, wasn't yeah. it? It was a very good match. Um, then we have Golda Shamrock, who I believe had had a feud at one point in '98 as well. Yeah. Um, then we have Mankind and Mystery Opponent, who we'll get to momentarily. Mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett and Al Snow, which is very much the here's the two lads that we, you know, we had two slots to fill. Yeah. X Pac and Stephen Regal. Yeah. 
And then we have Austin and Bossman to close out the brackets. Which is just like when you saw that, you're like, okay, we'll get one hoss fight. Uh, yeah. Or so we thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we see Vince in a wheelchair with the lads around him. Uh, he hobbles over to the ring, reminding people that he promised a new champion tonight and a Survivor Series you will never forget. And for one way or another, he was indeed correct. Um, he is introducing the first participants for this match, which is which is going to be Mankind and his mystery opponent. And people, I'll tell you what, getting way too overhyped about this mystery man because they start chatting HBK. Yes, they do. And like, oh my God, that is so not happening at I, this I point. I wonder, was there murmurs of, of it being HBK in the, in the Observer or Torch or something? Well, he... I wonder because he does return to TV soon because he he's commissioner he, by WrestleMania. Yeah, he well he's commissioner well before that he's commissioner by um the Rumble like yeah early, so early like, January so within the next month or two because it's it's slaughter at the moment um so um, yeah so like I I know from listening to like between the sheets and stuff that there was rumors of um. Michael's showing up on an ECW pay-per-view. <laughs> right. Which is something that was apparently a thing for a couple of months where it was continually like, you know, right. Heyman and Michaels are negotiating for the students to be on a show and Michaels will show up on a pay-per-view. The uh, locker room that night would have been interesting. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I imagine if he shows up soon on TV that there must have been rumours. That like, oh, Sean's coming back, but maybe we don't know in what capacity. But like, here's the thing, like, Sean was gone from March 98 till, what, June 2002? Yeah. Was like his real full-time comeback? Yeah. Um, I want to say there was rumours every three months that he was coming back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was, there was always that with like any of the guys who would kind of leave and not have a big kind of uh i'm out of here i'm not coming back mm-hmm. kind of thing especially someone like sean who was in like on and off tv for most of the time like you know again he was commissioner uh until foley in 2000 he was um the guest ref uh on the first smackdown and at judgment day, day 2000, 2000 yeah. so like he was always in and out he was never another guy yeah i i don't know if it was it was on this show that we mentioned as like the the other person that like I, I remember Shamrock. tail end of the Attitude Era, Shamrock, yeah. yeah. They're constantly, mm-hmm. there was rumours of Shamrock coming back. Um, but anyway, we will talk about Shamrock in due course. Uh, Mankind comes out, and this is in the middle of his um, trying to endear himself to the man he believes to be his father, Vince McMahon. <laughs> um, and he's gotten his corporate makeover, so like under his mask, the beard is shaved, which is fucking weird. Yeah, it's very strange. At. Um, and he's got his tuxedo on, uh, which I loved. Um, and it's still during the period as well where he's got the uh, the haunting intro and outro musics that are different, uh, which are also really cool. Uh, what what did you think of Vince then putting on the reading glasses? Uh, it was great. I'll tell you what, everybody says it, but Vince McMahon, the human being, one of the most despicable underhanded mm-hmm. awful people you'll ever see Vince McMahon the character is an all time great yeah. invention 
uh, and he had the reading glasses, everything tonight with the wheelchair, every little expression, every cackle when mm-hmm. the bad guys were on top. Just award winning. Yeah. He, he <laughs> um, really is like the star of the show tonight. Yeah. And like he gasses up this uh, mystery opponent talking about like his win record. Okay. And... Did you take notes on the actual speech he gives? I didn't. I was too busy uh, laughing. Okay. So I, I have most of it here. Okay. So he opens with this legend in the ranks of sports entertainment made his WWF debut in 1990. Over the course of the next six years, this charismatic superstar posted a win-loss record that would set new standards in the WWF. Unfortunately, seeking more competition of his own caliber, this natural athlete jumped ship to the WCW, as he puts it. <laughs> which I love the, that he couldn't he could never not say WCW oh yeah and the crowd actually booed the WCW yeah. thing um, he said jump ship to WCW and after suffering a massive shoulder injury this cornerstone of the WWF <laughs> has been sidelined for the past two years with his career on the line he fought back with resilience dreaming of this triumphant return to the ring here tonight Without further ado, allow me to introduce you to currently the coach of the Pasadena Chargers, the man, the myth, Dwayne Gill, to which the crowd are just like, what? It's like, oh, you... I think there was a moment of like, there's a moment of who? And then they're like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, this wasn't a time where like everyone had Google and they could quickly Google Dwayne Gill. And as appalled the crowd were, no one was more appalled in this building than Jim Ross. Oh, he's, he is disgusted and it's great. Did you get his line in here? It was incredible. He goes, Dwayne Gill has spent more time on the canvas yeah. than Rembrandt. <laughs> I love, he comes out, or even before he comes out, Jared's like, he has a video. He made a video for him. Yeah, he's <laughs> absolutely sick. Sick he was. Um, Dwayne Gill doesn't even get a chance to get in the ring Mankind rushes him Starts punching him on the apron Hauls him in over the top Couple of stomps to the head Hits the double arm DDT and wins Uh, The crowd did not give a fuck Yeah, no they didn't care You also missed the best part of the intro Go on As he's looking up at the video screen Like the big video screen you know that's up above the ring Oh yeah The pyro goes off Yeah, And he jumps a fucking mile Yeah I, one of the one of my favorite little tropes in wrestling is people being scared of their own yeah. pyro, um, particularly jobbers, obviously. Um, um, but yeah, no, like God, the 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 main thing that stood out to me in this match is, yeah. um, Jr. mentions on commentary, Mick is only thirty three here. Yeah, it's oh man, like, and he'd be retired sort of <laughs> in like less than two years. Just like, and there's a couple of times they mentioned the wrestlers' ages. Yeah. And if I had time to, like, I, I, it totally went, slipped my mind. I was going to go through, like, ages of the guys here compared to current roster. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of hay to be found doing that, I'd say. Um, But here's the thing as well. Like, not only were the crowd annoyed about Dwayne Gill, but I think until maybe the very end of the show, they, they weren't quite sure what they wanted to make of mm-hmm. Foley. Because, so there are certain, this is 1998, so people have really started to come around on Foley. Do you know what I mean? And and started to get behind him uh, in certain circumstances. Was, wasn't the summer 97 where they had those sit-down interviews with JR? 
Yeah, I think so. And people like it was around then, like people really started to embrace him. Mm-hmm. But then in, I want to say April, May, he had the series with Austin where he was Dude Love and yeah. he was like Vince's corporate guy. Yeah. And people really turned on him again. Yeah. And now he's doing the thing where like he, he's um, a sympathetic yeah. character on the face of it, but also he's trying to endear himself to the biggest heel in the company, yeah. the boss. Um, So people don't quite know what to do there are foley is god signs mm-hmm. but there's also people who are just not reacting to him at all and i have to say jr like all night is just saying yo this guy just doesn't he doesn't realize what he's doing he's yeah. he's had too many chair shots to the head which yeah. is way too oh, true boy and would be considerably more true a few months from now <sighs> that's not to say there's not one tonight because oof. yeah oh um, so we get a flashback to Heat where Jackie attacked Sable. Unfortunately, there'll be more about this later. Uh, we get a horrible Sable promo with a goateed Kevin Kelly. Yeah. Um, I think it must have been just mandatory backstage because Cole has his go is famous for his <laughs> goatee, obviously, as well. You didn't have to um, frost the tips like Cole, though. So Sable basically says in the most kind of wooden robotic manner possible that after that attack on Heat, she's more determined than ever for her women's title match tonight. Uh, Next up, we have Jeff Jarrett versus Al Snow. And I'll tell you what, what a reaction one Alan Snow got from this crowd. (laughs) People love some Al Snow, my friend. It was an Al Snow that they loved. Yeah. It was, it was, in fact, Head. Yes. People in 1998 loved Head. Oh, yeah. Head was over in, in St. Louis, that's for sure. Um, um, we also have to mention, this is Deborah McMichael's debut. Oh. Yeah, um, because this is the first time she shows up with Jeff because Lawler is like, loses his goddamn mind. I didn't even I, I I must have been just right I must have been just perplexed by the reaction to Al Snow still that it just didn't sink in that that detail. Yeah. Um but yeah, this is uh I'll tell you, she put her car to the wrong horse in terms of this fucker was out of here less than a year later. It was a summer slam of the following year, wasn't it? Uh, he left at the September pay per view, wasn't it? The good oh, housekeeping so it was right. it was after. Yeah, yeah. It was the good housekeeping match, wasn't it? No, yeah, September hurt. September 99 would have been too late, wouldn't it? You're putting me on the spot here. I have... Oh, yeah, it would have been. It would have been, would have been September, maybe October, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Al, Al pursues Deborah as soon as he sees him and mm-hmm. gets caught up fighting Jeff outside. Um, Al Snow is like a deceptively large man. Um. And he did a really good flare bump, like the flare corner flip Mm -hmm. in it, where it's like, for a man of his size, like, he got up and over there pretty well, I thought. Al Snow is a good wrestler Yeah, that got very lazy as soon as head got over. Yeah, I I think he's a guy who, like, there are people who overrate him, I think, Mm -hmm. and there are definitely people who underrate him. Um... Because I think he was like he solid dude, solid hand, who like you said got lazy when head got over, mm-hmm. but also still had value as a comedy character. Oh yeah, you know, like, at, 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 isn't it in ninety like late ninety nine where we have the Al Snow McFoley tag team, yeah. and like they're just going around visiting fucking amusement parks. 
And of course, in 2000, we have Head Cheese with Steve Blackman. Jesus. <laughs> we also have his, his reign as a European champion where he'd come out representing a different country every That's week. That's right, yeah. Yeah, good times. I feel like memories. about 10 people did that. Yeah, uh, like... Why not? It was it was it was great. I loved it. <laughs> now, granted, I was ten, but I just I will always remember D'Lo being announced as from Helsinki, Finland. <laughs> what a man! <laughs> um, so a big top rope leg drop that Snow misses and breaks his hole off the mat. <laughs> uh, Snow attempts a crucifix. They do some pinning exchanges. Uh, JR points out like we are in a tournament so it's really smart thinking to try and pin the dude as quick as possible um, Jared attempts a really sloppy looking spine buster that gets reversed into sort of a DDT I guess nobody's um, really quite sure what happens um, Deborah up on the apron trying to pass the mannequin head to Jeff at which point JR says the most Jerry the King Lawler line he's ever said which is what would she know about head anyway? Um, I was like, God damn it, Jim. Um, Snow gets the guitar, misses, gets clocked with head. Jeff goes to hit him in the corner again, sticks up the boot. Snow swings the matic at head, bops Jeff, wins. Fairly paint by numbers. Oh, like, like nothing to write home about. Oh, we, sh- we should say that all these first round matches are 10 minute time limits. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> Not really threatening that that time. No, like I, I'd say this went like four minutes max, and it was just like you said, like you said, very paint by numbers. Just here's a good guy, here's a bad guy. Yeah. The good guy wins with a fucking cheap shot. Like it's not good. No. Um. Next up, we had Bossman versus Austin, and I got myself unreasonably excited for what this would turn out to be. I mean, I just wanted to see these two dudes slug at each other for mm-hmm. nine minutes and then a stunner. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. It did start off that way, uh, out to the outside, and they're, they're throwing bombs at one another. Did, did you so, did you notice that even on his entrance, like, he rounds... Actually, we, we never mentioned, I love this era of WWE entrances where, like, the, the tunnel is kind of offset, so they walk around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, all the entrances were the exact same kind of fucking little tunnel thing. <laughs> yeah. Because they had no money at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, as soon as Bossman rounds the corner, he is sweating. Like, absolutely sweating buckets. <laughs> He's soaking wet. <laughs> but, like, you think about the amount of gear that dude was wearing, and he was, like, a hefty gentleman under those See, lights. And having to walk past big flaming torches on the way out as well. See, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the flak jacket and the camo bottoms. Like, he was just not in a good way. What you need to do is you need to do it like D'Lo. And wear the flak jacket with just a singlet underneath it. No, like, nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the two of them start throwing bombs. Uh, Austin throws uh, Boss Man into the steps, then into the ring. Keeps on swinging at him. Luthez press. Bossman gets a low blow that the referee just ignores in the start of what would be a night of very patchy officiating from oh, the World God. Wrestling Federation. Like, the refs don't even try and get into position not to see this stuff. No, and I'm sure, like, 1998 WWF crowds is, like, a small portion of people who actually care. But, like, even, uh, you know, something, a point in the WCW column is that sometimes it wouldn't work out but at least most of the time they would try to yeah. distract the ref to like really bad degrees where like the ref would be distracted for about four minutes 
Yeah. Like waiting for, you know, a low blow to happen. Whereas in this one, like it's just the referee is just standing there looking at yeah. him. The worst, it's the worst of both worlds because either they were doing low blows that was in plain sight of the referee mm-hmm. and the referee was doing nothing. But then also in other matches, the heel would just try and distract the referee. Mm-hmm. So like, what's the point if they're not going to DQ you? Like, it just, they, it they really needed to either like just say, right, we're going to go full ECW. Like the referee is allowed, you know, be lenient and fucking let, let them away with whatever they want. Or they yeah. needed to say, right, if you see it, you yeah. fucking call it. Like, yeah, I'll tell you one thing. Two matches in, James, you will turn this off anyway. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I can't imagine James ever watching this here. No, not willingly anyway. Uh, Bossman is in control of the match from the low blow on. Uh, during this, I enjoyed this. They uh, double screened Vince backstage with the, his stooges yeah. surrounding him. And he was just loving life with the, the boss man having the heat. Uh we do a long chin lock spot. The crowd are chanting for Austin. He gets fired up, gets booted in the face in the middle of his comeback. Austin fights back again. Corner charges, stomps a mud hole. Uh, Bossman bails outside off a whip. I, I do love that, you know, whereas instead of trying to reverse the momentum of a whip, it's like, right, I'm going to just do a baseball yeah. slide out of the ring to get away. Real clever old school stuff. Um grabs the nightstick and cracks Austin. <laughs> this time he gets DQ'd um, and then continues to batter him, which Vince is absolutely loving. Yeah. Um, after this result, because Austin is declared the winner by DQ, Cole goes backstage to ask Vince if he's concerned about Austin advancing. Vince says the night is young and there's much more to come. So, Next up, we had X-Pac versus Steven Regal, the European champion versus... The real man's man. He's a man. The greatest team. <laughs> so, like, I, I know it's a well-publicized clip. But please, if you've never seen it, look up on YouTube the time that yeah. Daniel Bryan wrestled Regal on SmackDown. No, it was su- they, Superstars, wasn't it? Oh, was it Superstars? Yeah, it was like 2013, I want to say. And they trolled him by playing the real man's man music. And, like, Regal, who's a guy who's known for never cracking. He's, he's, he stops, corpses. doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he stops dead and looks back at the thing <laughs> and go, and he's gone. And, like, Brian is just loving life. But, yeah. Yeah, because and, d- doesn't he, he trots out to his normal music and it just stops midstream. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Um, Hey, let's talk about this fucking gimmick. Why would you make Lord Stephen Regal the real man's man with a hard hat and a plaid shirt? And Daisy so, Dukes. He looked so fucking miserable. <laughs> he is so miscast as this guy. And like just what, just over a year later he'd re-debut as William Regal as like this. Yeah, you should have been doing this the whole time. Cause like that goodwill ambassador gimmick was great. Oh, it was perfect. But like this, this is the just heat. so do remember, sad. Do you remember the Duchess of Queensbury rules oh, match I with do. with Jericho? Where I thought half of Chicago was mm-hmm. gonna fucking jump the barricade. Adam, oh lord. Yeah. Um, oh, he, he's just so miscast here. And you know yeah. what? These two, like these two, could have a great match. I think they could probably have a yeah. better match now. Yeah. Then they could have in 1998. This was very house show. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, I described it briefly, but I thought it was being unfair as like a Butlins match. Where it's just like, you know, we know our role. We're mm-hmm. not going to fucking... They're not here to have, steal the show, yeah. No, we're just here. 
Um, I, I don't know if you heard this, but do you know how old X-Pac was here? Oh, no. Go on. Hit me. When when do you think X-Pac started on TV? It's not long after the start of Raw, is it? Like Yeah, he was on Raw in 1993. Yeah, and he's still probably only like mid-20s. He's 26 here. Like, he late 1998, he's 26. Yeah, and he's already been across to WCW and, and back. back. Like, yeah. Like, and he's been back a while. He came back the night after Mania. He did, he? yeah, in March. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, he was on Raw when he was 21. Yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. Um, the other thing I loved about the entrances for this, apart from the Real Man's Man song, was the fact that Jerry Lawler was singing along to Real Man's Man <laughs> without actually knowing the lyrics. And he's just, Jerry Lawler's giving out, and he's like, ah, oh, it's a great song, it's catchy. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Lawler was having the time of his life tonight. Um, Rigo got the heat early. Uh, I, I, oh god, this is one of my favorite spots in the whole show. Something really simple from Regal. The crowd start chanting Regal sucks, and he does this big wind up like he's going to do an exaggerated uppercut, and then just stops the big wind up to flex. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. It got more time than I, I would have expected. And mm-hmm. another thing, I think the the recency bias of what Pac's cup last couple of years in WWF TV was like makes you think that people always disliked him no. but no people were really into him here like it wasn't until what would you say like 2002 uh, yeah it would have been like yeah summer 2000 where people really started getting fed up of him yeah um, and then of course they put him with credible and albert and people just went oh fuck this hey look i will not hear disrespect for uncle cracker i, I, I have great respect for that song Yo, you dealing with the X Factor. I got everything I ever Yo. wanted, and I'll never Yo. give that back. Yo. Oh, I know you hate the that factor. factor, but you ain't gotta look at me like that. I said you ain't gotta look at me like that. Yes. What you looking at? What you looking at? What you looking at? What you looking at? You run around pulling stunts like that. See, never in my life could I front like that. I ain't caught like that. I couldn't run like that. I'm gonna keep it non fiction and take my hat. <laughs> As well, you should. Uh, um, I loved there was a bit where Regal has um, Xbox. I don't know whether it's a front face lock or like a headlock on the ground. And he just shouts into the camera, I've got the swine. <laughs> <laughs> So even when he's the real man's man, he still has flashes of brilliance. Yeah, he's still never not regal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was like, like I said, it was it was fairly middle of the road, but it was interesting to see uh, people actually being into uh, X Pac. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it was at the time where they weren't sick of wondering yet whether the PAC stands for points at crotch, but who knows? <laughs> um. Bronco Buster lights everybody up so there's a period of heat where like people aren't kind of reacting you know they want they're only interested when X-Pac is is, is fighting back mm-hmm. he hits the, the Bronco Buster everybody up uh, Regal crotches him on the ropes start fighting outside uh, X-Pac reverses a suplex into one of his own on the floor and they both get counted out <laughs> meaning Stone Cold gets a bye uh, Slaughter gets <laughs> sent out by Vince 
giving him the instruction that we're going to a five minute overtime period. But X-Pac is hurt on the floor. This is bizarre the way this, this one ends. So Pac is hurt on the floor. Tim White tell him to get up, tells him to get up. But X-Pac just keeps on walking. Regal is in the ring as Pac leaves. Regal goes running after him. The bell rings again. And now Austin gets a bye again. Yeah, it, it it's weird. So I don't know whether we were supposed to get X-Pac Austin in the next round. Yeah, it feels like either that was supposed to happen or it was a thing. Like, it felt like Regal was chasing him and going to bring him back and we were going to have more mm. match. So when it went to the next segment, I was like, what? Okay. Yeah, it, it it just felt really weird. And, like, they just kind of rolled with it and said, ah, look, Austin gets a boy. We'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah, I, I don't know what the story behind that one is. I, I'm, I, I meant to look it up, but I didn't. Story of our lives. Um... <laughs> Uh, one thing we didn't mention, X-Pac hits a couple of lovely spinning heel kicks in this match. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know whether, you know, they'd break an egg or not. They're probably incredibly safe. Yeah. But, like, his kicks were, like, on the button. They looked great. Yeah. Ah, man, that uh, I really like that. I want to talk about guys who don't get talked about enough, mm-hmm. like, in terms of their, like, their influence on other people. X-Pac is right up there. Um, isn't, isn't he in ne- the PC now? He should be. I'm pretty sure he's, like, he's involved in the PC. But all the fucking Aegis they have down there stealing a living, they really should get him <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, next up, we have Goldust versus Ken Shamrock. And oh my lordy lordy, the fucking size of Kenneth Shamrock this evening. My God, is that man ripped? That man, like... He is on all of the steroids. He is like a fucking balloon. Yes. <laughs> He, oh my god he is he's on more gas than the fucking hindenburg man <laughs> like he is huge but my god is he fucking shredded yeah. and do you know what i fucking love it i think he looks amazing lee i was gonna i was coming on to this podcast to say it i fucking love me some ken shamrock yeah. i i belt, belt him up like honestly like he, oh. he should have been a, a world wrestling federation champion look he was limited. I'll give you that. Like he, he wasn't, you know, on on Austin's level or or anyone like that in terms of in the ring. But he was that kind of wrestler that I would call like the good kind of sloppy, mm-hmm. where his stuff didn't look as as tight or as graceful as other people. But I think it lended to their persona, yeah. where it looked like you were in a scrap with him, uh, for reasons that I I mean. I guess are beyond comprehension. Uh, the other day, I was watching the Ken Shamrock Steve Blackman Lions Den match, <laughs> and I had a fucking great it's time great, watching. Yeah, that. No, it is. It's yeah. really good. Like it's dreadful, but it's great. Like, isn't that, isn't that the one with the weapons? Yes. And yeah. then Owen is the straight up uh, Lions Den match. Yes. Um, and it's funny, like it took so long for them to bring that step back with the fight pit, mm-hmm. but I think the Lions Den looked really cool. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. I remember listening to i want to say it was pritchard's podcast and he mentioned that shamrock for various reasons had kind of i don't want to say personal problems but like he was late to shows and he'd kind of missed shots and stuff like that and um, that's the reason why he never got moved to the next level there was always talk as well that that vince always had that wariness because he always had one foot in the ufc mm-hmm. that shamrock wasn't his yeah which, you know? as we've seen through the years, if you're not fully Vince's, he's yeah. not going to push you. Yeah. 
Um, but oh my god, what it got like one of the what ifs of that whole era is if they'd given him a run mm-hmm. uh, as champion, what what would have happened? Um, another guy you want to talk about guys who were underrated until relatively recently, uh, Dustin Rhodes, Goldust here in the middle of an all timer horrendous angle, uh, with uh, Terry Runnell's pregnancy. The less said about that, the better. I think doesn't this run until like I want to say February or March? Uh considerably longer than it should have lasted we'll say that much like I want to say like it's god when, when does Dilo knock her off the apron and she loses yeah. the baby like it, it's it's well into 99 mm. um, anyway Goldust Dustin is 32 here and again what? like that guy has been on WCW television since 1991 yeah and i'll tell you what you know like i was saying you know even though you know he's not in his natural character he's in the he's in the goldust character and even though ken shamrock is limited as we'll say watching the two of these lads just horse each other around the ring mm-hmm. was great fun while it lasted i thought that that's why like up until a match later on this is the best match of the show yeah like this was just two guys just fucking like you said beating the shit out of each other for a couple of minutes I always love when Ken Shamrock is punching dudes because some of them look like very worked punches and some of them look like they are not worked punches at all. Yes. He, like the more tired he gets, the less worked they are. <laughs> yeah. I would say that if you had a match with Ken Shamrock with the best will in the world, I'm not saying he went out to try and hurt anybody, nothing like that, but I would say once you had a match with Ken Shamrock, you knew you had had a match with Ken mm-hmm. Shamrock that night. You know? I'd say a good 50% of them aren't worked. Yeah. Um... But then again, like, this is still... And I'd say Dustin is one of those guys who's just like, do you know what? Fucking lay it in if it looks good. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got, he's, he's he's brought up like that, so... I, I love as the match progresses, and this was something that, like, it would happen all the time. The fucking... The zip on the suit would just get lower and lower because yeah. Dustin is yeah. just like, fuck this. I am too yeah. warm for this shit. <laughs> I, you, like, we were talking about how warm Boss Man was mm-hmm. earlier, but can you imagine that Goldust get up, how oh, overheated he got? I don't want to imagine oh my god the chafing <laughs> oh the smell I imagine as well Jeez. once he like got into the sh- oh I didn't even want to think about that Jeez. oh lord so Goldust attempts a power bomb that like I, I, I love when Shamrock just reverses things by beating the shit out of somebody yeah. <laughs> so he goes to power bomb and he just keeps punching them in the head until they both fall over um uh, Goldust goes for shattered dreams the ref stops it this this low blow he stops um Shamrock leaps off. It's something that I always loved. Again, as loose and as sloppy as it looked, the Shamrock Hurricane Rana. It's like the Cena Rana. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, like he hits a better one later tonight that we'll talk about, but he hits it here, um, which leads into the belly to belly and the ankle lock. And I'll tell you what, that ankle lock was over as fuck. Oh, uh, do you know what? And this was something I was going to say. Like Shamrock doesn't go near Goldust's leg for the entirety of the match, but as soon as he puts on that ankle lock, people know it's over. There's no doubt the match is over. Yeah. Um, I just remember, like, one of the great all-time calls is when he beat, um, he beat Rock with the ankle lock at, at King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And fucking JR screaming, Shamrock! Shamrock! Yeah, like, just, that, that was one of the matches where it really put over, like, how devastating that hold was because, like, the, 
like the, the pain anguish, yeah. etched on the rock's face like it, each individual tendon was being snapped like oh it was an it was just a great like no wonder angle started doing it do you know oh. what i mean it was such a it was devastating and then of course angle being the fucking wrestling genius that he was adding in the great binding yeah. of the legs and ah oh. anyway as um, we watched an angle match recently yeah as we saw like that that ankle lock was always over yeah i was actually watching his match at at mania 21 with sean recently and just to like sean was an all like obviously an all-timer but like him scurrying like a rat to try and get out and like just constantly trying to kick angle back and angle rolling through that, and was, that was the first time he grapevined the leg wasn't it at mania yeah. 21 yeah yeah oh god what a feud what a feud mm-hmm. that was but anyway, uh, Cole backstage saying Austin needs medical attention, but knowing Stone Cold, he will find a way to come out and wrestle later tonight. Our next match is due to be Rock versus Triple H. Good reaction for The Rock. I wouldn't say like uh, yeah. in the top two or three. Like, I think they're way more into him later. Yeah, I always remember The Rock, like leading up to this, like he had torn face post SummerSlam. Yeah. And like people were really, really starting to embrace him. Like they were really ready for, you know, The Rock to be the the number two guy I want to say behind Austin mm-hmm. because I think at that point Triple H was uh, he was you know he was over but he, people weren't I think yeah. as into them into him as as they wanted people to be you know yeah it was a year too early for, for Triple H and I always remember in my mind thinking like oh it was very much a 1A 1B Austin Rock mm-hmm. going into this tournament yeah mm, not on the fucking reactions I saw here tonight and you know what? Probably one of the smarter decisions uh, ever made later on tonight. Mm-hmm. They were obviously the idea was, well, turning him once got him over pretty big when he turned back. So if we do it again, yeah. maybe it'll be even bigger. And but it's, fuck, it it's was, mad like, how like you have these recollections of things. Yeah. And yeah, it just it, I was kind of bemused by the low key fucking reaction yeah. he got. I wonder is it one of those things where it's like a confirmation bias that you were really into the rock at the time yeah so maybe you yeah. remember being much louder um well well talk about you know loud reactions the dx music gets a good pop and then he really does and then i fucking lost my shit when i saw who came out yeah so <laughs> jr establishes that the rock is another guy that vince absolutely does not mm-hmm. want winning the tournament tonight Triple H's music starts, which is the DX music, the DX band. Uh, <laughs> Chris, Chris Moore into the video from WrestleMania, uh, but instead, as you say, instead of DX, instead of Triple H, it's the Stooges, crotch chopping like absolute legends coming out. Don't they come out holding paper cups of water? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it got overplayed by the end of it, but goddamn, did I love Patterson and Briscoe oh, in the day? I thought they. Like from here until around WrestleMania two thousand or ninety nine, they were like quality. Um, like as we heard on the promo here, Briscoe is Mister McMahon. Yeah, when he comes out, he says Mister McMahon asked him to announce that Triple H is not here. He will not be wrestling tonight. Uh, Vince sent tickets, but he didn't show, uh, and said that Briscoe will be personally fining him once he returns. <laughs> Jr. pointing out like the dude just had knee surgery. Come on, um, Patterson there said there will be no forfeit tonight. Uh, Vince found a replacement, the Big Boss Man. <laughs> Jr. Lives. Oh, he's disgusted. 
he, this guy already got eliminated. The, the tournament is out the fucking window. Like he's just yeah. absolutely disgusted at this. The integrity of the whole thing is gone. <laughs> uh, Bossman has a big shit-eating grin on his face when he comes oh, out, which I is love great. This. Like I, this is something that, in hindsight, just gets better and better. <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely loving life. Comes out immediately, gets rolled up and loses. Um, and becomes an interesting trivia point, I'd say. I wonder how many wrestlers have ever gotten eliminated twice from the same tournament. Ah, WCW had it happen plenty of times. <laughs> yeah, probably somebody got eliminated in every round of the same tournament. I- I'm um, sure TNA had people win tournaments that they weren't even yeah. in. Not only is this an incredibly funny moment in the moment as you're watching it, but when things happen later on, and then you go back and you think, mm-hmm. well... Rock never lays a hand on Bossman. He just rolls him up. And Bossman never lays a hand on it's Rock. just one of them things that in hindsight just works perfectly. In the heat of the moment, you don't necessarily notice it. You don't see it coming. But then it all makes sense later on. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we have Kane versus Goth Taker and his starched collar. I mean, you're taking the piss here. I fucking... I, do you know what? I love this era. The, the look... And the music, yeah. I fucking, the, I think this is the best era of Taker. I have this down as like I love this version of the music mm-hmm. for sure. Um, when like when yeah, when he's full on wrestling Satan, that's yeah, that's cool. Like if you're gonna have a gimmick, that's stupid. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like lean into it. I mean, you know, I don't need him cutting his own wrists and drinking the blood. No, or sacrificing uh, people on the symbol. I don't know. That's not too bad. Uh, you know. <laughs> Once I mean, look, not sa- Stephanie went on to invent women's wrestling, so... Exactly. <laughs> once it's not, because it's once you cr- crucify the Sandman, that's when it's gone too far. Like, I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, I always, I always f- I find that funny. I think that the Kurt refused to sign for ECW because the Raven crucified Sandman. But he signs for WWF in 1999 when The Undertaker has been crucifying people left, right, and center. Wasn't he signed in, like, early 98? Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, so they got him in and they went, right, okay, crucifixions, crucifixions. <laughs> I, I think he was in development for about a year. All right, okay, Kurt, maybe you get away with this one then. Fair enough. Um. So, yeah, I. it's obviously as well the best cane gear. Oh, God, yes. And we even get a big big, ma- big red machine mentioned from JR on comedy, which I want to say was like early in the time of him saying that. Um, but, yeah, no, yeah. Th- this is absolutely the best look, the the. The clothing, the uh, pants, the mask, it's just everything is great. I go back and forth on, on whether I enjoy it. Do you remember when he went to the like the mesh flame vest? Because like it was like um, the mesh vest, not a great look, but it was also when he was, was absolutely just, ripped to shreds. I was just so. going to say, that was when he was at his best. Yeah, But yeah. I think when the Kane gimmick was at its best was this kind of, this era. Yeah, um... So it's great because, like, I wrote here that it's one of the better examples of pro wrestling's appeal to a child like I was and you were at the time. But I used to think an Undertaker versus Kane match was the peak of pro wrestling. Oh, God. I mean, do you know what? Look look at um, World War Three when Nash yeah. and, and Giants hook up, yeah. the crowd go fucking bananas. Brian Alvarez once said that pro wrestling is the art of making people think that an immobile stiff is the best wrestler in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think he said that when Kali won the world heavyweight title. Um, actually, I'm just going back to something you said there. Like, 
uh, about Undertaker and Kane, like it it's a real nostalgia thing. Like I yeah. I always like I remember being terrified of the Undertaker as a kid, mm. and I was watching the show yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, and Undertaker's entrance happens, um, and Connor was with me. And Connor loves he, he he's fucking he's a big fan of wrestling music. He knows fucking yeah. like you can play the first three seconds of a wrestling song from nineteen ninety two and he knows what it is. He's just yeah, yeah. fucking weird. <laughs> um, is it because you did to him what we did to Johnny that time and like blared American males out the window at him oh, yeah. at a train stop? One hundred percent like <laughs> um, But yeah, no, like Undertaker's entrance happens and he's like, Oh, I love this music and he has the he actually has that Undertaker figure. He has that yeah gothic undertaker figure and um but then undertaker does the the eye roll and he's like oh i don't like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah too far too far and i was like instantly i was like that's exactly like the reaction i used to have undertaker was cool until he did that because even then when he comes like so when he came back to the dead man character in 2004 he was still doing the eye roll, but he was barely opening his yeah. eyelids, so it didn't look as freaky mm-hmm. as it did in the nineties. Um, so you were more able to bear it if that wasn't something you enjoyed. Um, so yeah, like like I said, I, at the time, eight or nine years old, I'm thinking this is the peak of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. Undertaker and Kane. It's it's such a great battle. But then you look back at it and you're like, well, this is two guys who just like were trying to figure out how not to take bumps. Um, you know. The famous the, the famous way people slag Kane is that like you watch Kane take bumps onto his knees yeah. instead of his the, stomach the, all day long. The pedigree bump, yeah. Um, I, I wrote that like this match is basically just punch, 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 stumble, slam for five minutes. That, that sums it up pretty well, yeah. But you know, again, it's a thing where crowd crowd always loved it when mm-hmm. Undertaker and Kane got a match. So like, I suppose the old school wrestler way of looking at it is why would you kill yourself no. if this is enough? Like you look at how many times these two are put back together whether as a yeah. feud or as a tag team. Yeah. And it's because and it always the, got over. the fans were always into it. Yeah. T- till almost the very end. <laughs> well, we won't mention um, that. We won't mention that. Um, so chokeslam duel which Kane wins. Uh, Bear distracts Kane who walks into a tombstone. Bear, oh, this, and I tell you what, if James, he wasn't already tuning out, he was tuning out at this point in terms of the rules because uh, Bear holds down Kane's foot during the count, but he's holding it down under the ropes. Oh, his two feet were, like, under the ropes. Yeah. Uh, like, And you know what? The thing was, you could see the way Bear reacted that he knew, but it was just like, I, I, I don't have the time to fix this, no. so I just, gotta, I just gotta do it. Like, you can tell he was thick with himself. Um, um, do we do we need to mention that Paul Bearer? I think on, I want to say the Raw three weeks before the tournament, all of a sudden just came out with Undertaker. They had reconciled. Yeah, so they're, just, they're just back together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like they had the match with Kane at Judgment Day, and I want to say the week after, all of a sudden Undertaker and Bearer are just back together. Mm-hmm. There was no storyline logic to it at all. And but it was it was like Jimmer after Kane's arm injury when he came back and Bearer was just with him again. Mm-hmm. And was that two thousand? Two thousand where he came, came yeah. back because he came back and laid out the 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 regime. Speaking of great <laughs> outfits, he had that great black and red reverse. reverse. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Oh. Um. But yeah, no, it's just, and I'm gonna mention his name for the first time on the show. 
it's the epitome of Ventures of Oaken. Yeah. Yeah. Just because. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's like the thing about we always you know, we'll we'll have our time. It's weird this is the first time we've we've watched a Vince Russo. Yeah, show. it was something I only I only clocked when I was watching the show. Mm. The thing about Vince Russo that everybody always says, it's such a tired point, but when Vince had the editor that was Vince McMahon, you got the best out of Vince Russo. And mm. the thing you can say to his his benefit is that everybody in the WWF had something they were doing. Do you know what I mean? Everybody had a story. Mm-hmm. Everybody had stuff that JR could catch them up on. And it was only like the things like, okay, Bearer is just back with The Undertaker were the exception rather than the rule at the time. Not that everything he wrote was good, but everything he wrote had a through line because people were constantly doing stuff. It wasn't like now where you have somebody that's off TV for God knows how long they're back and all of a sudden you're supposed to care again. I, I think what yeah. Russo needed was somebody to say... No. <laughs> well, yeah, that as well. But somebody to kind of to trace his stories as in, right, why would Paul Bearer and Undertaker get back together after two years? Yeah. There, there's and, and there's I, no problem with them getting back together. It's yeah. give me a reason for it happening. And I suppose that's why at the end of the day, like it, it might seem like madness in hindsight when you hear any stories about how they, they coexisted, but it probably is why the, why Vince arrived at the idea that let's hire Vince Russo and Jim Cornette at the same time because you would hear stories of the two of them fighting like cats mm-hmm. and dogs or Vince is tr- Vince Russo is is planning this that and the other and if if Jim Cornette can be uh can be isolated for one positive quality it's what a fucking pedant he is yes. and he will be the first guy to be like well this this makes no sense this is bullshit yeah. you know what i mean for all his great many faults that we don't have time to get into on this show uh that is something you can definitely use jim Cornette for um but yeah it it's kind of just it's a shame because paul i love paul bearer so much that you could have done something more like made a big deal out of the two of them back together rather than air it's just happening now um but whatever i guess and look where it goes is a real magical place (laughs) <laughs> indeed <laughs> and we should say this match marks the halfway point of the show yeah oh my god how many matches on this show again Lee 14 <laughs> one for it's every competitor f- in the tournament <laughs> it's a fucking long one folks um, we'll try pick up the pace here because I start running out of the the passion for writing notes towards well, the end of this show at, the, at this much. stage we're now seeing everybody for the second time so we don't really need to catch up on yeah, exactly. Mankind versus Al Snow is next. Um, they're outside the ring early. Mankind reaches for a chair. Al grabs it. And then this is what Lee was alluding to earlier on. Well, one of the shots Lee mm-hmm. was alluding to earlier on where he hits a couple of gut shots. Um, and then he goes for the for what would have been the first brain scrambler of the night. Uh, a big swing with the chair, which he misses, hits the post. Again, the ref is cool with this. Two good shots with a chair, the ref is cool with it. Um, so this is where they, they harp on that thing Lee was talking about earlier about the, you know, he doesn't know what's going yeah. on. His brains have been scrambled one too many times. So they're really, again, really good pro wrestling booking because they're building that chair shot. You know yeah. What I mean? <laughs> I, like, I don't want them to do the chair shot, but at least they're, you know, they're making it seem like a real 
fucking that, yeah like you say they are building to it yeah um so the the do you want uh, do, do we need to get into the backstory of like the reason these two are meeting apart from you know they both advanced in the same into the, the in the tournament is that vince took Sako from mankind mm-hmm. and he wrapped Sako around head and for some Which, reason mankind hasn't seen this over the past four weeks yeah and also in such a reflection of what a childish and terrible prankster everybody says vince is this sounds like something he would do and find very funny, even though it's not funny. No. You know what I mean? Like, it makes no sense. Like, why would you do that? Why is that a thing? Apparently, like, it, it's that classic thing of apparently Mankind does not watch the show. Yeah. I wonder is it a thing where Vince actually did do that and then it became a storyline that they went, uh, Vince found it so funny that they had to do it. Yes. Um... But yeah, uh, so there's uh, well, mankind. Isn't right. sorry to cut you off. Isn't the thing? Remember what? What's the story? Was it? Um, yeah, it's mankind. Uh, Mick and Al Snow fall out because Mick thinks Al put his book in the bin. Yeah, and isn't the story that Vince actually legit put, like Foley actually saw his book like in the bin or something? Oh, that rings a bell. And, like, that's where the whole idea came from because Foley was legit pissed about it. <laughs> Although, to be fair, like, you know, in storyline, could you blame Al Snow for putting the book in the bin when, like, that man is buried every three pages <laughs> for the whole book? Look, he was lucky to be in the fucking book, to be fair. Yeah, true. Um, it's his greatest legacy and in some ways. If it wasn't his book, it was definitely, like, a transcript or a personalised yeah. note or something that Mick wrote to Vince. Yeah. Um... Mankind slapjacks Al on the chair. Um, you mentioned you slapjack. Suck. Well, that's what it looks like he was trying to do. Uh, it just was. You're getting Stevie. I've got Ray WCW thoughts. on the brain, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, Mankind finally retrieves Socko from head towards the finish, and for want of a better term, he mix up. Uh, <laughs> once he sees it, becomes enraged, impervious to damage, uh, locks in the Mandible Claw for the win. Um, next match on the card Shamrock versus The Rock we mentioned it a little bit earlier on but I loved this feud in 1998 and it was cool to get a little Mm -hmm. bit of a revisit here and I know I mentioned it earlier on like I really do appreciate that they were setting up that The Rock had to get through all his rivals yeah to to get where he needed to go yeah it was great storytelling also I will say something we haven't mentioned yet uh, Shamrock is the Intercontinental Champion yes. at the time <laughs> so we had the Intercontinental Champion we had uh, the European Xbox champion. who yeah. was the European Champion all competing in this tournament and I, I um, really love like I always think of that Intercontinental title belt as like that that era of the Intercontinental title belt as the Shamrock belt yeah I, I love that design as well I, I kind of when they did the most recent redesign mm-hmm. I kind of wish they'd gone back to that one instead but you know whatever <laughs> um, they went with the shit one instead uh, Rock dominant early in this match Shamrock rolls out of the ring Rock follows and in a spot that he has done several times before he, he takes the water off the desk he takes a drink of the water uh, he goes to uh, whip Shamrock gets reversed into the steps uh, Shamrock gets the heat um, as he grabs the sleeper the boss man re- I tell you <laughs> what the boss man all over this show um, he circles the ring and JR immediately is like oh you gotta believe he's here for the rock the rock fights out the sleeper 
Shamrock hits the Hurricane Rana, a much better Hurricane Rana this time. Mm-hmm. A really lightning, like sh- uh, shades of Benoit quick armbar takedown. Uh, and I, I tell you what, this is the, the, the mark of a shooter is that like the rock had barely touched the canvas and Shamrock had oh, already started yeah. to roll yeah. back. When he rolled back into the angle lock, angle lock, I lost it. I was like, that is, a, what a transition that was. It was fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, so great stuff here. Rock just gets to the rope in absolute agony. Double clothesline spot. Shamrock goes for another clothesline, which Rock counters with his float over DDT. I was always fond of the Rock float over DDT. I, I have the very same thing. I love that move. That was like, yeah. I remember that being like the really first good move in the WWF games. Yeah. It, it was, was like uh, when, you'd, when you'd make your own character, you would always have to float over DDT. Oh, for sure. Uh, slam, people's elbow, kick out. Oh, how, do, uh, do you know what? How over is the people's elbow? Yeah. It's, and you forget sometimes that it used to be that the scoop slam would yes. set it up. And not, not the spine the, buster. Not the spine buster. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the people's elbow already over as hell. Shamrock, uh, he goes back to the well to try another clothesline. He nearly gets caught in a rock bottom when he does that. Fights mm-hmm. out. Hits his belly to belly. Boss man on the apron. He, and this, I tell you what, this is a one in a million. This finish comes off as well as it does. Mm-hmm. So Bossman throws the nightstick into the ring with the presumption that he's trying to throw it to Shamrock. Rock plucks the nightstick out of midair, turns on his heel and smashes Shamrock over the head with it to win the match. And he will face the Undertaker. I was like aghast at how great this it's catch was. It's all so smooth. Like it's one motion. Like yeah. Bossman distracts the ref and with the other hand tosses the nightstick. And I want to say Rock is like on a knee. As the yeah. throw has been made. He catches turns, like you say, pivots, hits him and throws the stick away. Like literally throws it back to boss man. All it's literally one fluid motion. Um I also love it it's a little thing, and I know it's probably not relevant, but it's in my own um my own what what's the word? Uh, uh I can't think of a good word. My own mind. My own thinking of the t- of the way. Um Shamrock is the first guy that joins the corporation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, anu- it's another one of them little things that in hindsight you're going, hmm. Yeah. Because Shamrock is a heel. Yeah. You know? And it's just... But this is like a full-on match. So, you know... Yeah. But, I mean, the corporation gets going, what? Is it? Is it the next night that Shamrock joins? I want to say so. I'm pretty sure it's like, if it's not the next night, it's like a week or two later. Mm-hmm. At the latest. Um, Shamrock, in rage, kicks steps over on the way out. Um, the Col- uh, Cole is backstage now with Paul Bearer, who says the only rock his Undertaker likes is cold hard granite that he writes the names of his victims on, so I like that. And now, you know, with the greatest respect, we're big fans of women's wrestling on the program, but certainly not during this period of time. And is, this was when... Is this the it, first women's match we've ever covered? Yeah, it is. WCW not exactly progressive with that kind no, of stuff. No, they really weren't. But I'm not sure that WWF are more than a half step ahead, really, with this. Like, God bless, like, I would love to see Jacqueline in there with somebody uh, like an like an Ivory or something mm-hmm. at, at this time instead. But it's it's Sable. 
and the referee is Shane O'Mac. Just establishing um, things for later on. Yeah. You mean, I I was I was bummed that he was the ref here because I was like, could you not have had this match earlier so that you forget that Shane was the you yeah, know what I mean? I like know. it's right before. But anyway. Or just have him um, have him officiate one of the early rounds. Yeah. You know? Um Sable is definitely still over, but it's not nearly what it was. No, she's like you say, she's over, but it's it's like not ninety and ninety seven levels. It's not like where she's at her peak. It's really on the come down. Yeah. Um so Jackie starts off strong beating her, but Sable manages to pull off a TKO. Um I always thought it was weird that no one else really uh, like I thought another prominent wrestler would pick that up as a finish. Somebody um, did. Who used it? There's a there's a couple of people have done it here or there, but like it's a good finish. I always preferred um, Sean O'Hare's move. The one that's like kind of like in a reverse FU. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that one looked better. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, Miro drags her out before she's able to get the three though. And he gets Sable bombed. And God love. <laughs> like the thing about it is though, Mark Miro was like inches away from being shoot Ganso bombed. <laughs> On the floor. I mean, by his wife as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shane tries in vain to get control. Jackie jumps Sable outside to get the heat. Uh, Jackie attempts Tornado DDT, gets thrown off, Sable bomb, and Sable is champion. And God, is this the least inspired championship celebration I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Sable, like, God, what a... What a run for better or worse she had in that company like yeah. god almighty did she seem like she would rather be anywhere else and you know what it, it's not talked about but this is very much the first example of Vince trying to break up a married couple because he doesn't think the man is worthy of being with her yeah and certainly not the last and he succeeded on this one well not that he succeeded I'm sure they had other issues but um, yeah like they ended up getting divorced and I have no doubt that their their storyline absolutely played a part. Yeah. Uh, well, it bears repeating again. Uh, Vince McMahon, the character, fantastic. Vince McMahon, the human, awful. Yes. Uh, what do we have next? We had Mankind versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, this, for me, is the best match on the show. Yeah. It's not like it was a particularly high bar to clear, but yes. It was really good. Now, it's not a patch on any of their great matches. No. But it's a real shot in the arm for the show, I think, at this stage. Like, like I, we're what? I think the... Is it the Over the over the Edge yeah. title match? Isn't that the one with, like, Vince's guest ring announcer? Or, no, Patterson as guest ring, ring bell ringer, and Briscoe is the ring announcer, and Vince is enforcer or something, isn't he? <laughs> something like and, that. And, like, Vince takes a fucking horrible chair shot that's the other thing like Vince when it came time for Vince to take a hiding yeah like that man leaned into it another match I watched this week was the Vince Shawn Michaels Wrestlemania match why and that <laughs> that man because right so that's that's a match that like I've always maintained this about this match I can't in all good conscience give that match five stars but I also in my heart of hearts couldn't give it anything less than five stars because in terms of entertainment it is one of 
the most fun matches does, does, you'll you'll watch. Doesn't Vince take like a shoot ladder shot to the head? Like right before the finish. He takes a copy of Muscle and Fitness through the head. He takes a Shane McMahon to the arse. Uh, oh, that's right. Shane, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's one of the all-time great gifts of him doing the whoa because he thinks Sean's head is in his arse and he's absolutely loving it. Um, Shane takes some brutal kendo shots in that. Um, oh, on the outside, he gets handcuffed he, to the yeah. ropes. Yeah, and and Sean does the Shane dance. Uh, and then yeah, like the the finish, uh, where he takes the L. Oh, he's wearing a trash can, lying on top of a table, yeah. takes it off the Jeff Hardy ladder, the elbow from Sean, and then Sean still picks him up and hits the snuggest sweet chin music I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it, oh. and this is from a man that Vince legitimately loves. Yeah, like yeah, more yeah. than he loves Shane. Oh my god, <laughs> what a. Like, I still insist that match went on so long that definitely at some stage in proceedings, they thought they were going to get Brett because this is when, this is the weekend. Oh, Brett he did the inducted. DVD, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. He did the DVD. He got inducted the previous night. So I think at some stage, they wanted Brett to feature um, because it ends up being like, how would they have blocked off half an hour where Vince is getting just the shit kicked mm-hmm. down for 28 minutes of it? But anyway. We'll review WrestleMania 22 someday. It's a fucking a great show. Actually, speaking, speaking of which, have you seen that Foley and Edge documentary? I haven't, Watch but it. I, I must it's go back because really that's an all-timer, that match. And that feud is great. And it's on well. that show. Yeah. Um. So Austin is out. His left har- arm is hanging, but he goes to war straight away, pummeling mankind, stripping him out of his jacket and his shoes in the process. That's another thing I wanted to mention. Foley works this match with no shoes. Yeah. He works, and also you want to talk about people getting overheated on this show. He was wearing his wrestling gear with a tuxedo on top of it. Yep. <laughs> like what a what a warrior. Um, Vince gets wheeled out by the Stooges. Um, Luthez then a stunner attempt, uh, and I love this. Ma- <laughs> I like the way you went. Vince get wheeled out by a Stooges. Luthez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Luthez, notorious Stooge. Um. So yeah, Luthez Press at a stunner attempt, and I love that mankind is so petrified of the stunner. Yeah, that he pushes Austin away, rolls out the ring, and then tries to run away. The Stooges plead with him to come back, but Austin loses patience and gives chase. He tries to pile drive mankind on the floor, but it's reversed. Uh brawling around at inside the ring, which is good fun. Uh he goes to use the post to to uh shall we say uh, mutilate Mick Foley mm-hmm. in the Unmentionables. Uh, it gets reversed, and I love the scowl of Vince in the chair going, Get him, Mick! <laughs> I think it's it's only about a minute or so after this yeah. that uh, Mick has a camel clutch on Austin. And you can yeah. literally, looking over their shoulder, you see Slaughter in the back, and he just shouts, Give it up! <laughs> yeah. Ah, God, it's great stuff. Um, there should be more people around ringside. <laughs> Mankind gets a chair. He charges at Austin, but beats Austin's boot. Uh, Mankind hits the double arm DDT on the chair for two. Uh, he goes for the pile driver on the chair. It's reversed. Stunner. And as soon as the stunner is hit, Vince springs out with a chair like it was loaded with dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> it grabs the ref at the two count, knocking him out. In the confusion, mankind jumps Stone Cold, but is 
<laughs> in a phrase I never thought I'd write down, Lee, he gets beaten out of his trousers and stunned again. <laughs> it's like a Saturday night outside the fucking local chippy. Yeah. <laughs> and for the next half hour, Jerry Lawler cannot get over the idea that Mick Foley was beaten out of his pants. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about a year that had Terry Funk getting chokes slammed out of his shoes, also had Mick Foley getting beaten out of his trousers. And nobody talks about it, yeah. No. <laughs> um, the ref runs in. And no, not stops the ref. At... It's Shane. Yes. That's what I was going to say because it's he runs in one two stops. At which point Austin realizes it's Shane McMahon. He flips Austin off and bails. Austin goes back to to Mick but gets laid out. Briscoe hits him with the softest chair oh. shot. Because here's the thing as well, like. You know Jerry Briscoe, and Jerry Briscoe knew that if he fucking laced one into Stone Cold, he was getting a receipt. Oh, he was getting it back at some stage. <laughs> yeah, so he he caressed Steve Austin with his chair, and Shane counts the win, and Vince and the lads hightail it out of there. I I love, and again, it's a throwback to the um, to the pay per view where they took the title off him. They're after screwing him again, and he just got running. Yeah. And I love that uh, I was so expect. I had started typing it out. I was so expectant of JR saying that Vince was running like a scalded dog, but he didn't say it. No. But they followed the cameras, follow them as Austin gives chase, and they run all the way out the back into the limo and hightail it out of town. And then Austin runs up to like a, a truck, <laughs> opens the door, hauls this dude out of it, <laughs> lays him out on the ground, and speeds off. So he literally steals a man's car to go after them and then it cuts back to the commentators where Jerry Lawler is demanding a replay because he is so impressed with how smart Vince is <laughs> he's so he's so proud of his boss Lee <laughs> do you know what this, Lawler is very good here I, I, do you know yeah. what I have to give him credit he is really good here it's one of his better nights uh, what did you think of this, this whole match ah uh, it's it, you know what it's, it's full of bullshit yeah, but to me, it's it's great bullshit. Yeah, smoke and mirrors, but we enjoyed the ride. Yeah. Like uh, we we love a great great match. Yeah, but sometimes when it's just a brawl and a fight, and there's constant yeah. fucking constant turns and twists. Again, it it's not a great match, but it's it's different and it's great in but- its own way. I think it always worked when Austin was the babyface because mm-hmm. it was just like, what are they going to stack against him next? Yeah. And because it was Stone Cold, you always got the feeling that maybe not tonight, but he would get the mm-hmm. last laugh. So there was always, now when that kind of stuff is done or in WCW, when that stuff is done, you never have the guarantee that yeah. it will pay off for the babyface. And that's why it wears thin on us. But here, you know, their uppance will come eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so next up we have Undertaker versus The Rock. Uh, all Undertaker early, outside and in the ring. Uh, Rock manages to get brief respite when he backdrops Taker over uh, the top to the floor. Uh, another water bottle spot, but instead of drinking it, this time he just beans Taker in the head with it and throws him over the barricade. Um, now Rock is trying to hit the big moves, smell and drop, float over DDT. Fucking boss man is back again. We should have had a boss man drinking game on this episode. <laughs> like, uh, I love that Rock takes time out of beating up Undertaker to mime that Bear is a fat piece of shit and then goes for the people's elbow. Um, 
but he gets a light trip. Yes, very, very man. slight. Very slight, like just brushes his. Like he his doesn't foot. even get tripped up. He literally just stumbles yeah. gently. Staged, some might say. Yeah. Uh, Kane emerges just as Taker goes for the choke slam. Taker throws Rock uh, to Kane to choke slam him. And I love this, right? So Taker throws Rock towards Kane. Kane choke slams him as expected. And then Taker is appalled that he's DQ'd for this. <laughs> He can't believe it. He can't. He cannot believe the cheek of the referee. Well, I mean, how, how is the ref to know that Kane is here for the Undertaker? <laughs> yeah, Taker and Kane that like because Taker is so enraged that he did exactly what he was trying to get him to do. That Taker and Kane just start brawling with each other up into the stands, and lost in this is the detail that uh, Rock progresses. Yeah, to his, his music just starts playing as they're randomly shitty brawling in the crowd, like yeah. Um, not much to write home about. Oh, I thought this match sucked. It was awful. No. Um, it was thankfully it like uh, it was like what eight minutes maybe. Uh, it, it was it was longer than it needed to be for that shitty finish. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, um, I just, I just want to say so the finals are set. Yeah. So it's Rock Mankind, which mm-hmm. means that it'll be a first time WWF champion to end the show. Yeah. And that was something that I think JR hit home that is like mm-hmm. we are guaranteed a new champion now. Um, Cole is backstage with Mankind to react to what just happened. He said that Lady Luck is shining on him tonight if you smell what the sock is cooking. And his fabulous shirt that he was wearing over his shirt, I was sad he didn't wear in the finals, but you know, we can't have everything in this world. Um, Outlaws are out and there is I think the most preposterously enormous sign I've ever seen in my life that was going across about three rows in the stands yeah. that I would be fucking pissed if I was sitting behind those people. And that <laughs> To be fair, it there. looks like they were up in the nosebleeds anyway, so Yeah. That's fair. Um the match is the match is Outlaws versus Headbangers versus D and Mark Henry. I have two notes here, Lee. Um the Outlaws are over as fuck and so is their shtick. Can't take that away from them. And the swagger of one D'Lo Brown is absolutely unmatched. <laughs> God, I love D'Lo. I, I fucking, I, I adore D'Lo. Um, yeah, I, I love D'Lo. Oh, the other thing I wrote here is the headbanger is getting a pay-per-view payday. Wild. <laughs> I am stunned that the headbangers were around at this fucking point in 1998. Um, yeah. The, the outlaws, the obvious comparison on the other side is Conan. Yeah, I mean, so incredibly over, but once the bell rings, you have no oh. fucking interest. Um, this match was fucking <laughs> awful. So uh, it was... I sent you a message saying, showing you what I had written down. Match yeah. 13, the 13th match on yeah. the show, Outlaws versus Headbangers versus D'Lo and Henry. And I just sent it a message to you, this match is 30 minutes long. Yeah. And I think you now, believe me. It, it felt like it. <laughs> yes, it did. It was only like eleven minutes, oh, but it was like God, no way. It was, it, I know. Yeah, like I looked at the timing. It's like ten and ten minutes and change, but it's also like the second longest or maybe third longest on the whole show. Only the main event is is considerably longer than it, and oh my god, it was awful. It was just by the numbers. Like it was it, it there. There have never been six men that came out more aware that they were in the death spot on a pay-per-view because they were not interested for one no. second in trying to get this crowd going 
once they came out and did their Outlaws promo, they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> Billy Gunn was fucking horrendous in this match. Yeah. Like, and I mean, he wasn't the worst worker in the match, but just by Billy Gunn standard, like, he was just, he was shouting at the ref for fucking God knows why. He, the, the finish was so beyond fucked up that I don't even know what was supposed to happen. I didn't even try writing it down. Um, there was like broken up pain, but it wasn't broken up, and yeah. uh, it was just fucking horrendous. And Billy Gunn wins it with a pile driver, and it's just. Yeah. I wrote all I wrote was Outlaws win. I could not care less. Yeah. And they they end it with their promo, giving a shout out to Triple H, and talking about uh, uh, Colin, uh, Billy Gunn, uh, Mister A Double, uh, Poisonous Serpent. It's like you're just saying words. Brian, like God, <laughs> he he, uh, Billy then proceeded to moon us all. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, pal. uh, main event time, the final of the deadly game tournament. It's Rock versus Mankind. We see a shot backstage of Vince and Shane revealing that they have circled back and they're back in the building. Uh, they're chatting to Boss Man about being ready for Austin. We get maybe what three minutes would you say uh, if that of fighting outside and a bit of wrestling mm-hmm. before Vince and Shane arrive at ringside <laughs> signaling the bullshit meter um, just when they're in the back before the match even begins just you know hit you over the head with this JR mentions Montreal yeah as as if the allusions to it hadn't already been strong mm-hmm. enough yeah they flat out just say Montreal um, um, what did, what, and about people getting screwed as the match is going on what did you think of King's Lion that um, you're going to get to see all this pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. Because what had just happened the month before, mm-hmm. <laughs> the competitors had gone off and missed the main event. <laughs> so yeah, they were definitely... Because they had... Um, they had long agreed with the pay-per-view company. Oh yeah, if, if, they ran, if they ran late, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the king says, you're, you know, stick with us. You're going to get to see all of this pay-per-view. And there's like a yeah. minute, uh, like a second or two of dead air and... JR just goes, that's not nice, King. He said, he was obviously laughing. Like, he said, like, you know, yeah. that's not nice, King. Making fun of those less fortunate. <laughs> yeah. He definitely hit the cough button. It got him. Um, So, yeah, we're, uh, the match is still on on the outside. Uh, as Rock takes control, he's staring down Vince. And it was like, as he's staring down Vince and Shane is kind of hiding over Vince's shoulder that I disturbing you remember the time that Vince in a promo referred to Shane as the product of his semen why would you think of that <laughs> it's one of those lines in a promo Lee that once you hear it you can never unhear it uh, and now you've had to hear it again um, so where am I here oh yeah so uh, briefly back in before Mankind does the cactus clothesline which I a great move one of the great, yeah, great one move. of the great spots in wrestling um Hammers Rock in the back with the chair, breaks the count, <laughs> breaks the count, and then goes for the steps. Rock takes a swing with the chair, cracks the steps into Foley's head, and starts battering the steps with the chair while they're pinned on top of Foley's head. They could have just left it at that lead. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic spot, and the crowd went wild. Yes, they did. Could have been was all fine then but then Foley gets up and my god when I say that The Rock 
was doing his best Babe Ruth and trying to knock it out of the fucking park. He reared back and nearly decapitated Mick Foley with a chair shot. Uh, we all, we all, everyone knows about the, the, the rumble and the Tordian shots dead. Yeah. This one shot may be worse than any of those Tordian because, like you say, it is literally a 250 pound man rearing back and with his whole body. All his might. Throwing everything behind a chair shot. And and Mick Foley leaning into it. I was just going to say that. And Mick leans his head into it. Yeah. Oh my God. It was sickening. Now you say like on the... Like the 13 chair shots. That's its own separate thing. And you can like... It's awful. Especially with everything we know Mm -hmm. now. But you will say as far as those chair shots go to the head... This one was built up over three hours of a pay-per-view that it was going to happen. I think of other people on this roster, not necessarily at this time, but even shortly in the future. Like when I think like Bubba Ray Dudley used to take unprotected chair shots to the head just in your average match that weren't built to. It was just something he did in matches. Mm -hmm. So like in a world where it's happened, I'm at least glad that it wasn't an inconsequence that it didn't mean nothing. Because, like, scrambling your brains and it just being a spot in a match rather than something that's been built up as a death move all night, you know, I would still rather none at all. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, I as it happened, and I always remember reading Mick's book, and he took a powerbomb from Vader on the concrete floor yeah. in WCW. And I always remember Mick describing it and saying it was, like, a horrible and like the sound it made he was even sick of himself he said like he said like he really felt it like it was a really hard bump to take and in his mind like he he could hear the commentators talking about how it was sickening and disgusting and I always remember him saying that all Bobby Heenan said about it on commentary was oh that'll give you a, a headache yeah and how disgusted he was about it and then I listened to, to JR's description here after the chair shot, and it's just, all he says is his brain scrambled again, over easy and well done. Yeah. He's making, he too easy. He, like, fucking making egg puns. Especially when, like, he was part of building up how deadly it was going to be, that you think for a spot he himself was helping build all night, that when the spot finally happens, he would sell it more dramatically than comedically. Yeah, like, you don't need Very you don't need to pun about it. Like, just say that is... Fu- just describe it, like, as it is. It's a sick church after the head. Yeah. Um, it's back and forth again for a bit. Uh, Mankind attempts the diving elbow through the announced tail, but Rock moves just in time. Table explodes on impact. Oh boy! Yeah. He didn't have to. No. Uh, Rock uh, throws him back into the ring. It's time for the people's elbow. Mankind just about kicks out. Rock is enraged, but walks into a double arm DDT, and then Socko comes out. Gets the mandible claw in. The crowd are rallying behind the Rock. Mm-hmm. Rock fights back just before his arm drops for a third time and hits a rock bottom, leaving both men down. And that is like, you want to talk about two men that were destined to be great uh, in-ring competitors with one another. There is no sequence that uh, you can transition as smoothly as like Mandible Claw into a rock yeah. bottom. 
It's just like it's just perfect where the positioning is on those. And it was actually something I meant to say at the start of the match. It was it was weird to say, like to hear them talk about you know, mankind and Undertaker had like a real history and past together. I think they I think they bring it up during the the Rock and um, Undertaker semi final, mm. and like knowing what we know now of how linked Foley and Rock would become. That like at this point it was all just beginning. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, so, uh, Rock rolls over to make the cover off the rock bottom, but Mankind kicks out again. Then, Rock locks in a sharpshooter, and Vince instructs the bell to ring. Oh no, you you're understanding the key moment. The Rock oh. looks out at Vince yeah. and gives him the eyebrow, and that's mm. the signal. The signal to the man inside the ring puts the sharpshooter in Vince orders the bell to be rung Shane is in to raise the rock's hand and the master plan is unveiled as all three of them embrace like evil Mm -hmm. villains together Uh, Vince says the fans are nearly as gullible as mankind Um, proving that like not only were the three of them in on it but that they had and this is the more obvious part of the plan that mankind had been strung along this whole Mm -hmm. time I just remember Vince saying screwed about 15 times. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, uh, as well as doing a literal Montreal at Survivor Series one year they later, had to keep telling couldn't you. stop yeah. saying, oh my God, battering you over the head with it. They did The one event in wrestling history you probably don't need to batter people over the head with anymore, mm-hmm. especially only one year after the fact. Uh, Austin was well and truly screwed in the ring, he said. Mankind doesn't understand because uh, he wasn't pinned or submitted, he says. Vince says, you don't get it? Well, get this. Rock lays him out with a bell <laughs> shot to the back of the head. <laughs> because, of course, and a rock bottom. Uh, Shane announces your new World Wrestling Federation champion and corporate champion, The Rock. Um, so, yeah, the start of the, 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 the next big rock heel turn. Um. I will say I will always consider that belt as the Rock's belt. Yeah, the Rock and Triple H is the one I think because mm. them them trading it in two thousand. Uh, where does that one rank for you on the 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 all time belts list? It's it's probably mid to high level. Um, it's it's not my favorite. I, I love it. It's not my number one. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's it is nice. It, I'm a big fan of it. I do always think the the uh, the one that went on to become the undisputed title. I think that was the best looking one. That's a people people. Uh, in fact, our good friend from uh, Journey Through Gorilla Island, Zig, was saying during the week that he believes that the undisputed title is the best wrestling belt ever made, which is like a weighty. Mm weighty claim like it's it's a good one but that's it's 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 level with that for me the big blue and mm. um the undisputed and I, with the wing the winged eagle is just i see again i was just gonna say i think it all depends on the era that you came in like yeah. as you say like when you were really getting into things that that was the yeah. belt yeah winged eagle and big gold yeah over in wcw are my two like if i were to have behind me here in the office someday if i were to <laughs> kit the place out with two ornamental belts, those Big would blue. be the two. And it would have to be the blue. It wouldn't. It doesn't look right on the black strap at all, does it? No, no, no. Um, 
But anyway, um, so the crowd roars as Stone Cold emerges again, standing there in disbelief for a second at what has taken place. And then he goes straight for the rock. The McMahons, absolutely, you think they vamoosed before. These guys, it was like, you know, when Homer runs and there's just a Homer-shaped pillar pillar of smoke. Like, that's what <laughs> Vince and Shane, boom, gone. Um, rock desperately tries to beat down Austin before he gets to his feet. Uh, he fights back, stuns the rock, fucks the belt out with a ring at him, <laughs> and then just for good measure, as if he hadn't already been through enough punishment, stuns mankind, <laughs> and then lays a few more boots into the rock on the floor. And you know what? I love that that Austin always seemed to have this kind of hatred of that belt, because anytime yeah. he won the title, he would always have the smoking skull belt. Yeah, until like was it until he won it uh, like at, at, at X Seven? It was the first time he didn't change it. Yeah, I think that was the first time he didn't change it, yeah. Yeah, and that was his, his, his heel, heel run. Yeah. yeah, his fabulous underrated heel run. Which I'm sure yeah, we like, will cover. It killed the business, but what an artistic success, I'll say it again. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's the end of the pay-per-view. Uh, we're not going to do our, our finish counter here, because it's it not a WCW show. Um, nor are we going to do a linear martial arts division championship. But on the whole, Lee... What did you think of the show? And I suppose that's two questions in one. The quality of the actual show and the quality of the historical significance. Okay, the, the quality of the show is abysmal. Yeah, I got it's we were we were saying this in the chat earlier. This is worse than almost every WCW pay-per-view we've covered on the show. Like as a, a standalone show, with the exception of World War Three, probably. Yeah. Honestly, like I I do you think this is worse than any WCW pay-per-view we've covered? Like, if we didn't have any sense of nostalgia for this project, uh, this product yeah. at the time, and these characters, we would think this was one of the worst shows we'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the entertainment we got, like you said, there was like one to one and a half good, good matches yeah. on this show. And the rest of it is all... Depends on how much nostalgia you have mm-hmm. for this period. Like you said, the amount of smoke and mirrors that you just enjoyed because you were a huge fan at the time. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. it's more that... Like I remember having investment in these characters, that yeah. that's what got me through this this show and seeing like where they were at at this specific time, um, is is what I got enjoyment out of here. Um, as for historical significance, my God, it's one of the most important pay per views in WWF history. Yeah, no word of a lie. Yeah, you're not you're not exaggerating whatsoever. I think it's really. Uh, you know, we talk about everybody and their mother talks about the importance of, of Austin when he turned and um, leading up to his title win in 98 and that run making them the, the mm-hmm. dominant, the number one in the business. But again, just as important for them pulling away from WCW was the Rock's heel turn to have that arch nemesis. Uh, in the ring for Austin like he had the character nemesis in Vince but Vince it, yeah. but Vince for all the will in the world he's not a wrestler no. you know what I mean and despite the amount of times he's gotten in the ring he's not a wrestler you needed someone like the Rock Hon- honestly and- like it was genius as as you alluded to earlier in the show Rock was just getting hot and he was going to be the number two guy yeah. it was genius to then go well, no, he's going to be Vince's guy. And all the heat yeah. that Vince builds is just going to go towards the rock. And it's just going to build and build and build. And if you don't, like, because this is the heel run where the rock gets really comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? And like that charisma was, really yeah. shines through. You you can see on the show he isn't quite there with the swagger yet. Like yeah. you you just need to look at a couple of his entrances. It's it it's there in glimmers, but it's yeah. really between now and WrestleMania where it just goes to the next level. Yeah, and you know the the great what if like if they hadn't stumbled upon this rock turn at the time they did like where would they be? who knows but like you said it is so historically significant and then if i were to pull it back to the the kind of question lee that that led us down this path to jump over this fence and talk about wwf in terms of where things were at the respective november 1998 pay-per-views um it's something we said at the start but how do you feel each company has the table set going forward it's really hard to look at in hindsight without mm. without biases towards what would happen because yeah. I suppose in 1998 without knowing what happens the idea of Nash versus Goldberg doesn't seem it's a big money match no it's a it's a yeah. really big money match and it's a big babyface match yeah and as we saw with Wrestlemania 6 having a big babyface match isn't necessarily a bad thing um, yeah <sighs> I think that I I almost think WCW are in better shape currently because mm. they have a lot more main eventers set as at this moment. Like you have yeah. Sting, you have Brett, you have DDP who's right there, Nash, Hogan, Goldberg. I think WWF at this this very point only have Austin, Undertaker. And then that like strata beneath you, and then and, and, and then you have Foley Rock Triple H is, is way down. Kane yeah. is probably just a little bit lower than Foley and Rock, in spite of him having been WWF champion that year. Yeah. Um, Kane is in that spot that WWF like WWE now like to have a guy in. Sometimes it used to be like Bray Wyatt or something. They, where they can heat him up who, any time. They can yeah. heat him up whenever they want, and then put him right back where he was yeah. in a cupboard. Um, um, he, he's evil basically yeah. <laughs> um, but no like I, I honestly think that at this current point in 1998 if you were a betting man you're hmm. like I still think you're you're back in WCW to come out the stronger I think maybe the only thing you would say like without the benefit of hindsight if you're watching it at the time you might think to yourself well WWF don't seem to have a sense of having burned through a lot of stories like you remember how many feuds got burned through uh to placate hogan mm-hmm. and things like that there are a lot of people who feel like spent forces or f- who feels like their their push is long since over uh, or wouldn't be a credible threat this that and the other where even though a lot of the big names are in this tournament and you get matches like an Undertaker versus Kane or you get a Mankind versus Rock, one of the benefits of doing the tournament and having these short matches is you don't feel like it's... A match has been burnt. Yeah. yeah you, you feel like you can still come back mm-hmm. to it and if anything, this will play into their history together mm-hmm. as part of this tournament rather than going, oh, I've seen this before. And as as we'll see, like I think... like spinning this like they established that at the end of the show rock the rock is the champ but austin austin's the guy yeah but they don't go to that straight away 
and I think that's the, the most ingenious part of it all mm-hmm. they born between now and Wrestlemania they born Aust- uh, Rock and Folio they book yeah. that match constantly and they and, and, and they make and they make each other yeah well that's the thing I was going to say is that like Foley's great uh, role in this company is that he's made two of their biggest stars because he makes the rock mm-hmm. um, and then pretty much a year later they do almost the same yeah. thing and he makes Triple H um, and even if you want to go back the other way three years like two three years prior to this he makes Sean yeah. because like that's a, a lot of people forget is like he gave you Sean know, that edge yeah, Sean was the babyface world champion and he was like, yeah, like he said, he didn't have this edge. He was this fancy Dan, white mm-hmm. meat babyface. And then mind games happened and you saw like that nasty side of Sean and that kind of like the fight that was in him. And, so, and if like, you want to even say, like Undertaker has said this on record, like he was revitalized by his program at Mick. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny because like he is considered one of the big stars of the Attitude Era, but like... I also feel that history should remember him in even higher esteem. Like the people who really watch their stuff always know, like particularly with Triple H, that he made him. But like that guy is as important to that company as any of them. You know what I mean? Shy of maybe Stone Cold. Like he is probably the most important figure in this entire era. And he contributed even well after he was finished as well I say well after after he finished as an in-ring guy yeah. he was still all he, over the show he made Orton yeah <laughs> he made Edge I was just going to say Edge, <laughs> like, the like, whole uh, TLC thing he was integral yeah. to that like and yeah it, it, it is just phenomenal like and I he, he's a big part of uh, Edge and Christian getting over yeah that's what I mean like all the, the backstage yeah. skits and stuff yeah like an unbelievable legacy what a man and now I kind of want to go back and watch lots of Foley stuff <laughs> so that's probably what I'm doing and I only just watched that Royal Rumble 2000 main event recently watch the Edge documentary that's well worth watching yeah I think that I think I might actually watch that tonight uh, but anyway look it was a pleasure it was a nice refresher I think Lee to watch something a bit different for mm-hmm. once um, heading into Wrestlemania week and being busy as we are just to take a little pit stop on Thunder Road is nice every once in a while um, like like we said, this is not going to be a a a normal occurrence. Like we, yeah. I think we have one more coming up probably this year. Yeah, we are like again. We are a WCW, primarily yes. WCW Thunder podcast. So even our jumps over to Nitro aren't that no. frequently. Let alone jumping over to WWF. Um. And there is other stuff in the calendar, other sort of wrestling, but not strictly in WCW stuff that we have in the calendar. There will always be special episodes Mm -hmm. that are a bit off the beaten track. We'll always have non-WCW matches as part of our Pick Your Poison. Uh, But I don't want anyone to think we're just going to become the chronological podcast of Archidera shows. No, no, we have no interest in that. But like we both said at the start i think it's a really interesting comparison it's a perfect comparison point for where things are going i think yeah as well as giving us an opportunity to do something a little bit different mm-hmm. with you guys and have have a special episode um but with that said uh thanks for tuning in uh we'll see you in two weeks we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming um and yeah until then stay safe and we'll see you again bye bye <laughs>
Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars